Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Microsoft and Delete Me and Privacy. Uh, disclaimer, I'm Simone DeRochefort, Senior Video Producer of Polygon, and I'm here today with, as always, Christina Warren, who does work for Microsoft, but this is an ad for a podcast, so synergy there, but that is our disclosure. And we're, of course, joined by Brianna Wu, a Senior Executive, whoa, di- Executive Director executive at the Rebellion director. Pack. I mean, I'm the executive director, so I'm also the senior executive director, so right. you're not wrong. A senior <laughs> ultra executive director. I'm also the space uh, executive director, which is even higher. Mm. Oh, my know, God. I'm like so sorry. Just... Senior space executive director. <laughs> and Thank actually, you. there are spaces between all of those words. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've got a really fun show for you tonight. Uh, we're going to be starting with uh, some some. Brief little updates. So did y'all see that uh, Prince Harry, who we talked about in Dessert a couple weeks ago, he is now becoming a tech executive. I'm so proud of him. He's on a path. Yeah. He's he's consulting at a company called BetterUp, and I believe this is going to be the first of a few consultant, executive-y, motivational speakery things that he's doing. <laughs> you know, you know how it is when oh, you, people totally. want to well, hear when, you when talk and that's whole, your whole say, gig. I was going to say, like, when you're rich, when you're, you know, a prince, even if, like, the royal family is like, please don't use the name Prince Harry, you're like, yeah, but see, it's actually my name. Um, people want to pay you for stuff. Uh, he's chief impact officer, which is not a real job. I do not believe like it, th- this is this is definitely like this feels like like isn't Ryan Reynolds like like the CEO of like a phone company or something like this. This is like one of those things. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I, I don't have strong feelings about it. I mean, the way I feel is, you know, he's having to use his inheritance from Princess Diana, his mother, to pay for frack and security, whatever he's got to do to get paid, to keep, uh, you know, people with ill intent away. I'm 100% for it, but I'm with you, Christina. It sounds made up and whatever. We will, care. of course, be keeping a close eye uh, on His Royal Highness's career in tech as mm-hmm. it develops. So exciting for us. Uh, let's get into some of today's stories. So another quick little hit here. This summer, this past summer, Slack had launched a feature called Slack Connect, which lets different organizations share uh, Slack work spaces in the same way that like different teams can share Slack workspaces within one company. This would let multiple companies who are working together, like you and an ad agency that you're working with, share a Slack workspace. Well, today they started rolling out a feature on Slack Connect called Slack Connect DMs, which would let you theoretically DM anyone anyone, anywhere, at any company who was on Slack. And unlike when you DM someone who is within your organization, it didn't immediately open a private channel with that person. Instead, it sent kind of a magic link to them to start a convo. And there was an optional message, like an invitation message that one could type attached to that email to be like, hey, come join my Slack. Except, of course, people who, like journalists, who are testing this feature out being like, this is a recipe for disaster, found that, of course, one could invite someone at a different organization to a private channel with a message that said, hey, loser, (laughs) I hope you die. Um, Come chat with me. 
Um, and there was no way to block the emails. There was like, if your company had opted in to Slack Connect DMs, there was no way to turn that off on an individual basis. And of course, there was no uh, moderation of what the optional invitation messages could read. Uh, people were very critical about it. And within a couple hours, to their credit, of like these stories coming out on publications like The Verge, Slack rolled back the feature of attaching a message, an, an optional message, along with that email invite. So a bad decision, followed by a good decision to not have those optional messages that just went right through to your email and were not able to be ignored. But it does still leave us with the central concept of Slack Connect DMs, which I'm still not so sure about. What do you two think? I, I, so I had two objections to it. Uh, you know, the, the first is, you know, Facebook's mission is to connect the world, uh, connect as many people as possible. And I feel like we've tried that and we know it rarely works <laughs> out well, <laughs> you know? So I, 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 I think particularly in a work situation, uh, I really have to object to this idea that more connection, particularly on Slack is, is better. Um, so I think it's a, a fundamentally uh, poorly thought out feature and it, it makes sense for Slack to want to make their product like even more massive. So I understand that use case for it, but I, I just think it's ill thought out from a productivity standpoint. On a human standpoint, I I really, I, I would love y'all's opinion on this, but I feel like Slack came out and their motto was, you know, stay out of work, get less work done, <laughs> you know, get your stuff done and leave. And I feel like the reality now in 2021 is slack as hell and <laughs> the happier you will be the fewer slacks you're in and it's just the opposite of productivity uh generally speaking so i i'm just i'm opposed to it from like <laughs> a, a slack pessimist and like a connection pessimist uh point of view yeah so I feel like I don't know if Slack was ever like do less work. It was like we want to replace email. Of course, what it's replaced email with is something that looks a whole lot like email in that it has replicated some of the terrible parts of email, which is that there are too many of them and you can't track it all. Right. So but I get your point there. I disagree slightly. I, I actually completely Wait, disagree. Can I just can I yeah, clear the, the Slack motto was, quote, work hard and go home. And I think the reality of it is work hard and then work hard at home with people bothering you. With stuff but also hours. like kind of mess around yeah. at work because you're right. in a big chat room with your whole company. Right. 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 Yeah. No, uh, fair enough. Um, and, and I think that's, that that's a valid critique. I think, uh, I'm not going to put this on Slack that our work lives have interspersed into our personal lives. I think that 2020 and now into 2021 has made that even worse because everyone was like, oh, it's, this work from home thing is going to be so good. It's going to have so much equanimity. And it's like, no, all <laughs> it means is you have no separation between um, work and, um, you know, like personal and you have half the the physical space to live because you have had to create space for yourself to be like a permanent workspace. Like it's, it's it's actually been terrible in that regard. But um, where I disagree, I understand like your concerns with the the Slack Connect feature. I actually think that, and this is I think a problem that Slack has is that they'd started out with one kind of target customer and then have gone after a very different type of target customer. And and I, I totally acknowledge that there and there should have been more granularity in the way that they rolled it out has been bad, which is why it's good that they 
paused things and are going to do a better job. But I actually think that the idea of allowing people to have guest access, so to speak, or or to be able to kind of reach out and have a connection with someone who's not in like their corporate Slack is quite a good productivity feature because what it allows businesses to do, and because this is very common, is that, okay, you want to collaborate with people, but you don't want to pay for maybe like a, a per seat head for them because they're a vendor, they're they're an agency, they're somebody who's outside of your workspace. You don't want them having access to all your stuff, but you do want a way to be able to communicate with them and share things with them in an isolated and um, uh, like, like fair space. So you want to be able to be cooperative and collaborative, but you don't want to either give them access to everything or, um, and also you don't want to have to pay for, for them to have a seat like in your Slack instance. So I actually think that the, the direct connect, like the Slack connect thing is smart. I just think that the way that they did this was like, I, I think terrible. Slack connect is smart. I definitely see the use case of that. Cause l- like you said, that makes sense when you're working with a vendor, I can think of definitely instances that were project-based when that would have been useful to us. I think the DM anyone who's on Slack thing, like even without the the message, which was a, uh, an obvious problem, I'm, I'm with Brie here in that I think it's a little... <sighs> I don't know. It, it, to me, it feels, and this is maybe because I maybe mess around too much in, in Slack DMs. Like, to me, Slack is not necessarily a useful productivity tool. Right. I find it more of a fun team building space, which isn't well, to say well, that work you, doesn't get done no, there. No, it's not. You're right. But it's You're a right. huge distraction. Totally, and I think right? like, even before 2020, just having it on my yeah. phone is a huge distraction because I treat it like a social network. And I think that I'm definitely not alone in that. And no, yes, that's not. on me. That's kind of not totally on no, Slack. No, no, that, that's on Slack, to be honest, because this is my point. I think that Slack has had two different markets. Like when it started out, because it was for many of us, we were using Campfire before Slack and it mm-hmm. became kind of like a better version of IRC, a better version of like yeah. a group aim chat. And that's what's happened. And then they've slowly tried to slot in, especially now that Salesforce bought them, you know, they want to build in these productivity and collaboration tools. Whereas Microsoft Teams, and yes, disclosure, I work at Microsoft, is not a chat product first and foremost. It's a collaboration um, a product. Uh, the real-time chat aspect is in my opinion, the weakest part. Um, although the the video call part is very good, the sharing documents and going back and forth on stuff is very good. But the the way that it does chatting is different than the way Slack does, and and that's where people, including myself, who have used Slack for you know like eight years, like have issues um, getting getting used to the other system. But I think your point is like this is the two different audiences that Slack has cultivated and they're they're at odds with one another because one of those audiences, I think that that DM feature could make sense. Um, I still think the way they did it is weird. I still feel like, you know, it should absolutely be a more granular opt-in, opt-out thing. Um, but but I could see that it could make sense. Whereas if you're using it in any sort of social um, construct and if it's more of a water cooler type thing, it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense because you don't want just randos to be able to to, to message you. Um, and and I I don't know. I feel like yeah. That's- and I, I think if one if we've learned one thing from the past few years, it's that you know even though this is a feature that's I believe only going to be available to paid users, and that's most often people who work at large companies. Even though it's only available to like professional quote unquote people, that definitely does not mean that it won't be used by people being creepy. 
regrettably. Right. And and this is, you know, this is a consistent problem with the tech industry. You know, I'm on a, a special board for a, a startup and they're building a product. And from the very beginning, they wanted to make sure they couldn't be used in, in creepy ways. And they brought me in and a bunch of other academics and experts that have had real life experience with this stuff. And we constantly give feedback on the product to make it better. That or something like it should be part of the the design decision process. I think with this, as journalists have shown, as they've experimented with it today, there was nobody leading this product feature that was asking, how can this be misused? How could someone who's a real (laughs) a-hole use this in a creepy way? And that's that's not a question, I think tech asks itself often enough. So, mm-hmm. Christina, to your point, are there valid uses for this? Of course. Like, I can, uh, I can think of a million great uses for this. Uh, let's say I'm bringing somebody into Rebellion. Uh, you know, I, I have a process where I bring people in, I give them a paid project, I see if they shake out with the team. If they don't, uh, we cut ways and I move on for, to a new candidate. If they don't, like, uh, you know, like we hire them on. I don't necessarily want to give them access to everything we say as a team between them yeah. because, you know, they're on a probationary period. It would be great to be able to bring someone like that in on a temporary basis. Uh, so I, I can, I'm not 100% against this feature. I just, I just, ah. Uh, it, it just, it, it's not done right, right now. No, no, the yeah. execution was terrible. Definitely continue keeping an eye on that as it develops. And I will tell you now that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by the IntraZone. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a podcast completionist. And what that means is that I'll often like, I'll get overwhelmed because I have so many series to listen to. And then I will finish them. And then I'll be like, this is terrible. I have no podcast to listen to. Uh, if you, listener, are looking for a new show to listen to, The Intrazone could be that show. It's a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tech can work for you. So you'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field. I hope they're being safe so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives, FAQs of the week, and upcoming events. And the topics for each show are super interesting. So previous episodes cover things uh, like security and compliance, cloud admin, and designing your intranet, as well as crisis management and working remotely, which is two, two things, two things that everyone needs right now. Uh, are you, you're not involved in this one, Christina. I am not. I am not. I, I, I was not even aware of this one. So this is cool. And Surprise. actually, <laughs> and actually prescient considering we were just talking about things that have compliance issues mm-hmm. around shared, uh, shared admin stuff. So there we go. There that we was go. not even planned. So you can go and listen to it now. Just search for the IntraZone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, or just click the link in the show notes. Go check that thing out. Our thanks to the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. 
All right. Oh, boy. We've got a little Apple topic for you today. Oh, this one's so good. This should have fit be an official Scamtown uh, topic, I feel. It really, yeah, honestly. It's Scamtown. I mean, it, does this qualify for Scamtown? It's close. I, why I mean, don't you sing the official Scamtown jingle, Brianna? <laughs> I will not be singing it. Uh, <laughs> Christina, what to... about you? <laughs> Scamtown. Scamming us all. Scamtown. That's how it goes. I, That's the beloved jingle that I know and love. So, I want yeah. to bring somebody in to sing <laughs> yeah. Scam, but to the tune of Gem. Oh. Like, and it's the Gem scam. theme song. Scam is gem. amazing. Yeah, oh, just like scam. that. Yeah, just like, I like that. It. Exactly. <laughs> I'm actually going to play that back for the person who comes in to do it and be like, just do that. <laughs> Do as she did, (laughs) except I'll give you money. Okay, so class action lawsuit. The class action lawsuit against Apple for the butterfly keyboard fiasco has been certified. The suit covers customers in California, New York, Florida, Illinois, New Jersey, Washington, and Michigan for various models of Apple laptops between various years. Uh, This is a suit that was first filed in 2018, and now a California judge has certified that bad boy. Uh, It took Apple five years to abandon the butterfly keyboard design, uh, which is the focus of this this here class action lawsuit, which despite a redesign, uh, never quite stopped being very, very finicky and breaking because it got dust in it or because you looked at it weird. Uh, Per The Verge in their write-up of this, quote unquote, the suit claims Apple knew for years that its butterfly switches were defective and that its incremental changes weren't fixing the core problem, end quote. That problem, of course, being the low profile, low travel uh, profile of those dang keys. So I think my big question for you two is, what are you going to do with the $5 you're each going to get from <laughs> this lawsuit? $15 for me because I had three separate computers fail with oh, this. No. In fact, one I brought in three separate times. So, um, yeah, I feel, I mean, I, 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 I I really hesitate to use the word scam with Apple because overall they're a very forthright company that develops good products and generally speaking has good customer support. This is just an effing disaster. Mm-hmm. It's an effing disaster top to bottom. I have no doubt that they knew it was compromised. They gave their users an S sandwich for years and asked us to to enjoy it. And I want to see them sued from here to hell about this. I mean, no excuses. I I, I hope they have to pay so much money for this lawsuit. It makes them and every other tech company think really seriously before asking users to just live with a broken product like this in this way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. This is like a, I don't think this qualifies as like a, a traditional scam, but this is one of those things. And I've said this for the last couple of years on Jason Snell's annual um, Apple report card that oh. <laughs> he sends out to, to pundits like me, where I'm like, yeah, the the butterfly keyboard is one of those things that will haunt Apple for years to come. And it's going to have a lasting lasting damage. Uh, and I think it has had lasting damage on like yeah. its reputation for, yeah. you know, um, uh, like product quality. Uh, and, and it's a shame you might say, it's like, well, look at all, you know, they've had this, this great history, you know, 40 years of, of generally having pretty good products. You know, if there've been some failures in there, but not too many, 
yeah, it's real easy for that to go away when you have your most sold Mac product, which is like, you know, the MacBook line, have a clearly defective keyboard that, um, in fairness, I don't think that the issues presented themselves until the the touch bar models were released. So I, I think that the earlier models that use that keyboard type, I, there might've been some occasional, you know, issues, but I don't think that it was prevalent. Uh, but then once it was, it was like, doubling down on bad decisions rather than doing what, frankly, you know, it's easy to say hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's like, yeah, you should have gone back to the drawing board to do what they've done with, you know, the releases that came out last year, uh, three years before that. And, mm. um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do with my $5. You know, my, mm-hmm. my MacBook has been replaced twice for the keyboard issue. <sighs> Um, and, and the, but the most egregious thing to me, and this is something that we don't talk enough about with Apple's, you know, this is a company that claims to be so green, uh, yet the only way to do any sort of repair on the, on the issue is to replace the entire chassis and, and, uh, like you can't just replace the keyboard. You have to replace the entire chassis and, and then you've, because of the way they've done it, you can't even, you know, retrofit it with a better keyboard design, uh, which seems wasteful and also seems like problematic, you know, okay, after your warranty period is over and after their period of warranting, you know, the additional replacements is over, like you're going to still have people, these broken keyboards and these keyboards that, you know, have, um, you know, repeated keys or or have dust or whatever the situation is, is going to persist and will be in the market. We will be seeing them for another decade. Like yeah. what's going to genuinely. So it's, it's one of those things that, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to buy half a Taylor Swift album with, from iTunes or something, or, or like an app in the app store, you know, with whatever five or ten dollars they give us all. But yeah, sue them. You're Absolutely. taking your money from the millionaires and you're giving it back to another millionaire. Bad practice, Christian <laughs> Warren. Uh, come on, come on, someone. You know exactly how this works. They're not going to actually give people cash. They're going to give us <laughs> Apple gift cards. You know that. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, come so on, this is this Apple. Is, we know that's how that works. I want to know. I'm not going to feel like there's any justice here. And Christina, I have a less cynical view than you do about class action lawsuits in general. So I don't, I don't need to adjudicate it again. I just want to say I'm, I'm less cynical about them in general. But uh, what I want to know is, so here's a really good example. I have a new Mac Arm 13-inch MacBook Pro. And part of the reason why I, I bought this was, A, I wanted it, uh, but B, my MacBook, 13-inch mm-hmm. MacBook Pro, the H key on it died. And right. I didn't want to go to Apple in the middle of a pandemic, right? right. Uh, and and I think there are a lot of instances out there where people traded in oh, I or, agree. or did not go there to get repaired because we know what the experience is at the Apple store mm-hmm. in the 20s. You mm-hmm. go there, you're on time for your appointment, you're waiting 20 more minutes for a genius person. They're trying to help 50 other people in the store. They're talking to you like you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. It is. And then they're telling you, you it's to, gonna be 10 days before you can get your laptop back. And right. you're like, okay, but I actually need this for work. Right. The most exactly. masochistic experience you can have for free. Exactly. And there are a lot of people. I mean, I think Apple Care, so it's not free. Right, exactly. Huh? There are a lot of people out there that have this problem, either sucked it up or just bought a whole nother damn macbook because of it and if this lawsuit does not get 
Apple to admit fault. Like if the way they classify who gets a settlement is just the people that brought it in for repairs, I'm I'm gonna feel really frustrated because it is a much bigger cohort than that. Yeah, I think the only fair way to do it, and, and who knows, you know, this is where the lawyers will, will get involved um, to to determine like who an eligible party can be. And and right now, I believe it's only in a number of states. It, it includes New York and Washington State. I don't remember the other ones that are that are listed in there right now. But um, I think the only fair way would be to be like if you've purchased a MacBook that had that keyboard. So if you bought a MacBook between 2015 and you know frankly, 2020, because they were still selling them some some of the models with that in it until 2020. And they might even still be selling some of those models uh, refurbished right now. So, you know, I think that that's the only way to to cover, at least in my opinion, that's the only fair way to say if you ever bought one of those. Yeah, um, I really I had a moment of being skeptical at the beginning of this topic, Rihanna, when you were saying that this is going to haunt them for years. I had a moment of being like, I, I don't know, like the Samsung phones that caught on fire thing, that was pretty bad. And we've kind of all forgotten about that. I it, Listening to you two it. talk makes me feel like, yeah. make, makes me realize I've been so sheltered from this whole thing because mm-hmm. I've never upgraded to that keyboard. Like I, I truly, yeah, when I think about having the fact that you two have had to kind of deal with this on and off for so long. For years. You're right. Years. Yeah, the, this, is, this will and, definitely stick in people's craws for a long I time. Mean, I mean, just objectively, if you spend $3,000 on a computer and you have to get it replaced a number of times, and then there's actually not a way to fix it other than buying a new model, which has been redesigned completely. You know, the one thing I'll give Samsung, uh, A, I don't know if if they will ever completely like lose that kind of thing for a while if it's catching on fire. But but two things. One, even though they had to do two recalls, they did actually do full recalls. Two, they refunded everyone. Mm-hmm. So everyone got their money back. And then they did like the full re- recall, which is not the situation here where sure. you have people who spent thousands of dollars, got nothing for it. And in some cases, I mean, this, this came up earlier in, in uh, I think, separate litigation, but there were people who had to pay to get their laptops repaired because Apple refused to repair the keyboard because it took Apple years to actually acknowledge as part of their repair program that yes, the butterfly keyboard is a problem. So if you didn't have Apple Care and you were out of your one-year warranty, there were people who had to pay not insignificant sums. And again, to repair the laptop, you had to replace the entire bottom chassis. It's not yep, just like I, I would can be just replace the keyboard thing. Those people did get their money back from what I understand, assuming they went through like an official Apple thing. And, and I think even some people who might've gone through like a, a an unofficial, you know, repair center or whatever the price case may be, Apple did like have to step up on that. But that doesn't change the fact that like they never fixed the problem. Mm-hmm. They fixed the problem by releasing a completely redesigned system. Yeah. I, I also just want to say, I mean, even that case, uh, I, I don't know if y'all remember this, but my very first beloved 12-inch MacBook. Yeah. I loved that thing. Yeah, you loved that thing. I carried it all around the world because it was my primary computer during Gamergate when I was like flying everywhere and giving talks. And I dropped it at one point in a hotel room and put a little nick in the bottom corner of it, right? Totally usable, a little dent, not a big deal, like I, and it's not like I walked into Apple and I asked them like fix this for free. It's just something like I'll live with it because mm-hmm. this is a laptop I use, and they would not fix my damn keyboard. Ugh, that's because it had a tiny 
dent in it. And Apple effed me over again. And I had to buy a $1,500 new laptop because of this keyboard failure because of it. So again, I mean, I am, uh, y'all can tell I'm kind of upset about this. Yeah, And I want them to pay a lot of money because they screwed over a lot of people with this design. Well, uh, I'm glad that this is finally certified and responsibility (laughs) is being taken. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Delete Me. Have you ever Googled yourself? I know you have. I certainly have. It can be kind of wild to see what private information is available for others to see. There's an entire world of shady companies out there that collect and sell your personal information, and I am much more acquainted with several of them because of this service. These uh, these companies are called data brokers, and they know your phone number, your home address, your political affiliations, and your dating preferences. An average data broker can possess about... 1,500 data points for each person, and it's the kind of data that can be used for cyber-stalking, doxing, or identity theft. The good news is that you can take one simple step to remove yourself from the majority of these data brokers. You can use Delete Me. Think of Delete Me as the anti-data broker. They've removed millions and millions of records from data brokers for the last 12 years and continue to fight for users' right to privacy. Uh, so we, I actually got a one-year trial of Delete Me uh, so that I could try it out. And I just got, they did an initial like privacy report for me after like a week or a week and a half or so um, after I started the service, which is really cool because it gives me the kind of data that I enjoy <laughs> looking at, uh, which is also horrifying, uh, like I said. They like show how many uh, profiles of mine are being removed from data brokers, how many records they've reviewed. They have a a time saved, (laughs) time saved removing records, about four and a half hours. So I could have spent four and a half hours removing records and three hours searching for them. But they did that for me. And they're removing stuff like uh, so for each website that they remove your stuff from, they show you. Uh, A, how long it's going to take, like from the time they ask for it to be removed to the time it's removed can be a little gap of time. So it shows like which ones have been removed, which ones are in progress, how long that's going to take, and then what information of yours was exposed. Um, uh, (laughs) Can I tell you someone else uh, that uses uh, data brokers? Yeah, you. Tell me. Politicians. I was going to say, I'm on so many email lists because of giving to your... Yeah. So, so here's how it works. And yeah, I'm just telling you how the sausage is made, right? When you're trying to raise money, um, I might go look at another candidate with similar values to me. I might look at their donors and then submit an entire, like, you know, like a list of the top donors, uh, and then go get their information. If you've only filled out partial information when donating to a candidate and we want to talk to you again, we would actually use a data broker to get your email, your phone number, all that other stuff. Uh, people often think like politicians trade each other's lists back and forth and that's how they get the information. No, it's it's from these data brokers. So like if you've been getting a lot of calls from people trying to get money from you, uh, consider using the service. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely the case. Uh, all right. So if you want to make sure your data stays yours, head to joindeleteme.com slash rocket and use rocket 
for a 20% discount. Let me say that again. It is joindeleteme.com slash rocket and the code rocket for a 20% discount. Our thanks to Delete Me for their support of this show and Relay FM. Thanks for making Bree's job harder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, I was horrified when I saw this (laughs) information. And like legitimately, like my freaking address, I was like, oh, man, I kind of knew that that was a thing that happened. But oh, man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, don't look me up on data brokers, uh, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I won't be there in a few weeks. (laughs) Get it while it's hot. Okay. <laughs> um, cool. Well, you know what else is hot? The online gaming space. Amazon is going to keep trying to make game development happen. Mm. They are opening a new studio in Montreal. Oh, my God. Stop spoiling the topic with your scoffs and groans and laughter. They're I'm opening sorry. a new studio, which will be working on a AAA multiplayer game. And they've recruited devs who previously worked on Rainbow Six Siege and have a lot of experience in this space, which is a good thing because Amazon's track record of making games is bad. Uh, They've already had an online multiplayer shooter called Crucible, which uh, launched and then got canceled. They have a game, I believe, called The New World, which is like an MMO that they had in early access or beta. And then it got pulled because it was racist. Um, And as we've previously, I think we discussed this story on this show, but the Bloomberg article is timestamped to January 2021. And I don't remember it being this recently, but Bloomberg reported uh, that just on all of the missteps that Amazon has kind of made over this process, which was like number one, putting, you know, an Amazon lifer who has no game development experience in charge of their game efforts, um, trying to build their own dev software instead of using existing tools, saying, okay, we're going to crack knuckles, make only billion dollar franchises the likes of which no one has ever seen before that you can play single player or play in a huge world with a bunch of people that are totally unique concepts. And and of course they don't have enough developers uh, to make these things either. Nevertheless, they are spending $500 million a year on game development. So is this, is this their turning point? Uh, it remains to be seen. I mean, I would, I, I almost I don't want to make fun of Amazon Studios because I, I have dear friends that work there. Yeah, I also think it's worth noting, like, uh, from what I see, like, I haven't taken a survey, but there are an unusual number of women I know that work on at Amazon Game Studios that are affiliated with this product. And, you know, I game development is very hard and I don't root for anyone to fail. Uh, that said, Crucible was really really unbelievably bad i mean it was it was a disaster top to bottom uh just a truly poorly thought out piece of game design and you know amazon's mo seems to be at least from what i see on the outside throwing money at a problem. It's almost like they look at these trends in the industry and they're trying to get a piece of it. And, you know, if you think about like Amazon Prime Video, 
Mm-hmm. That has really gotten good. And the way it's gotten really good is they've they've invested in shows with a really particular vision, right? The Expanse, Boys, uh, uh, what's the one about the the forget uh, the forget stuff? Uh, homecoming, mm. Homecoming, really strong premise, right? But with Amazon, it's like they start from these generic trends in the game industry and then design kind of a weak product around it. It's like Amazon Game Studios. I, I don't know if she still works there, but Kim Swift was there forever. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you not giving Kim Swift like anything? Give her the five hundred million yeah. to ship a new product, right? I I just fundamentally don't get it, and it I don't know if it's the leadership is failing or if just they don't have the 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 the, the support that they need, but the the products that they are putting out are just painfully generic. Yeah, I think that I'll say this. A, I would much rather take a bet in in working at a game studio that Amazon supports and founds rather than Google, right? Like mm-hmm. just yeah. real talk. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm and that's I, I mean I'm being snarky, but I'm actually not even joking. Like Google is the one that I would have questions about, and you know they, they've already done they've done to, to the Stadia teams and whatnot. But Google <laughs> being Google will do this again, like Google will try yet another time, you know, they've bought other studios in the past, like they, they will do that sort of thing again. And, and Google is the one that I would be like, nah, I'm, I'm, I fool me once, shame on me, like fool me 10 times, you know, this is, I'm a media person who's going to trust Facebook, um, as, as the, you know, the future of, uh, of my content delivery and, and whatnot, Ancient right? proverb of our people. Basically, right? So whereas Amazon, the one thing I'll, I'll, the credit I'll give them is A, has any of their like massive investments in gaming worked? No, but they haven't given up. They've continued to invest. I, I, I don't know people who work there. I mean, I know people who work on Twitch, but I don't know anyone in the game studios. They have very smart engineers. Amazon's a very smart company. I have to I have to think that like maybe this is something where they just haven't had it feels like they don't have a lot of core competency in gaming. Mm-hmm. And that's not um like that's okay because lots of places don't, you know. I mean it uh when when the Xbox came out in, in 2001, you know, that was a a switch for Microsoft, but Microsoft had been publishing games since the the 80s. And so they did at least have people who understood fundamentally, you know, stuff having associated with it. Amazon um, they haven't, uh, you know, kind of cracked that yet. But the thing I do appreciate about Amazon is that they're, to your point about Prime Video, they're willing to invest and keep trying, uh, mm-hmm. which is not something you can say for a lot of other companies. So I'm not going to write this off. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, you know, I think this is definitely one of those things where I, you start laughing because you're like, oh, I've heard this one before. But I do genuinely hope that this turns around differently. Yeah, I think if we're looking at the mistakes that they've made previously, hiring the Rainbow Six or hiring developers with experience in online AAA games, that's a good thing. That's a good step because that corrects some of the mistakes they've made before where like the leadership is just not experienced in this space. And to your point, Brie, about like, rooting for game developers. I have also heard that Amazon tends to pay more than, uh, than other, or than like just game development companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the Bloomberg piece reported that as well. So yeah, it's like, if, if they can do it, that would be nice. Um, 
going to Montreal for those Canadian tax breaks. That's smart, as so many game companies have done before. We love to see Absolutely. it. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I uh, will not be optimistic. And nor will I be hopeful because, eh, but I I hope that the people who are working for them are able to use their skills uh, and create something that they can be proud of. All right. Hey, this episode of Rocket is also brought to you by privacy.com. Ooh, do either. Okay, actually. <laughs> ah. Privacy, online privacy, a theme, a theme, running theme for me. I think last week I told the story of how I just like plopped out my credit card information into a scam website. I haven't done anything else like that since then, but like definitely uh, being very hyper aware, especially after this Christmas season of just how many places online my my information is. Um so privacy is a tool that may, means I have to be a little less worried about that because it makes it easy to manage uh, my online financial lives while keeping my most important information secure. Uh, privacy will generate virtual numbers to mask your bank information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Have you all ever been super nervous? Have, have you all ever made a, an online purchase? that you uh, did not have full confidence in, that made you a little <laughs> bit freaked out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Simone, I work on, like, I, I restore classic portions. Oh, no. I'm talking to people on Facebook. It's like a guy with, like, like one eye, and you're like, hey, can I give you this? You'll send me that alternator from a 20-year-old car? Of course. Like... Okay. All the time. Yeah. Good. So you, you, you're. I'm speaking to the the mass, the choir here. Uh, <laughs> that's the saying, right? You know why having a service that could mask your financial information is important. Uh, yeah, that's a very important thing. I think, especially as we've all been kind of doing more online shopping for this past year, uh, just being able to have like a fake number. Whoa. Changes the mm -hmm. game. You can take back control of your payments, decide who can charge your card, how much, and how often, and you can close them at any time. Plus, you can make sure that you are never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. I just thought of another thing that I want to use this for. My landlord... <laughs> called me today they apparently they've set up an online portal for paying mm -hmm. for rent finally which like is yes. something that i haven't had for a long time i used to in in washington but I, i've had to mail checks here they're setting up an online portal and my initial thought was oh wow that's convenient and then my second thought was i don't trust it <laughs> <laughs> um so yes great another use this for privacy is the same landlord that wouldn't fix your toilet for a year right so true and i'm gonna need to come then i need them to come back and do it again uh, <laughs> but that's uh, a problem for another day privacy is partnered with the good folks at one password uh you can create use and save privacy cards directly within your one password dashboard and all virtual cards created in one password will have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards and you can set spend limits, create single-use or merchant-locked cards whenever you want. So you got a particular merchant who are like, you're a friggin' scammer, but I can't stay away from you. 
<laughs> That's what you do. Uh, head to privacy.com slash rocket and sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Go to privacy.com slash rocket and sign up right now. Our thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and Relay FM. And I'll just give them a quick plug that's not like part of the ad read because I've used their service for a long time. If you are like one thing that I like to use it for or for services that might be difficult to cancel or that sometimes are like presumptive about renewing and you're like, I'm going to forget to cancel this before it renews again. It's great for that. But the other nice thing is that if a service you use is hacked, rather than having to go through and change the credit card you've used at every single merchant that you've used with that credit card, you just have to update it in privacy at that one at that one thing. That's smart. That's real smart. All right, final topic of the day. Oh, we got some Disney, some Marvel Disney nonsense. So uh, it was announced today that both Cruella, a movie that no one cares about, and much more importantly, Black Widow. Okay, we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that. (laughs) I'm already lying. Black Widow and Cruella are both going to premiere uh, on Disney+. Plus simultaneously with their theater releases uh, at the end of May and in July. So these will be premiere access the same way that Mulan was back in the fall, which is like a $30 extra purchase. Uh, So you can stream these two woman-led blockbuster films that (laughs) Disney's putting out in your home for $30. Uh, which, ugh, gosh, we've been waiting for a Black Widow movie for so long, and now they're now the pandemic has truly done it to us. Um, I don't know. What did you all think about this? Uh, uh, before we get to that, I have to. Are you going to have beef with me, Cruella? No, you're not excited. Come on, Emma Stone. I stood idly by as people were going after my girl, Emma. For Amazing Spider-Man, even though she was so much better than Andrew Garfield in that film. Okay, I didn't say anything. I was silent. And now <laughs> she's literally Cruella DeVille? And y'all are doing Emma Stone dirty? I, mean, I no. like Emma no. Stone. I like Emma Stone. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. The but I, for this I don't... movie looks so <laughs> silly. It looks it, stupid. It, yes. it looks terrible. I don't know why. I mean, I know why she took it. She wanted that paycheck. But like, mm. A, Glenn Close was very good in the live action things of, of uh, 101 Dalmatians. B, I don't, you can't make, Cruella is like the w- rare Disney villain that you can't make sympathetic. She yeah. literally wants to skin dogs alive and turn them into coats. Like you can't make her sympathetic. Like you can make Maleficent, you can make like almost any, like the, like the, the evil queen from Snow White. Like you can make most, you know, um, uh, Ursula, that like you can make a lot of them sympathetic in some ways. You can make them anti-heroes. Cruella Deville is genuinely like the archetype of just like a, a of a true villain. Like she's like a cartoon villain. Like it, it feels like, like a- okay. Did you see? Did you see Anne Hathaway in the Witches remake on yes. HBO? Yeah. Okay, that was her like campy acting, talking about eating children, like teeth coming out of sides of her mouth where they shouldn't be. And it was it was delicious because you had a great actress that was doing in a bad movie. But and she was still the I villain want. and they yeah, didn't like change right. it. <laughs> right. I mean I, I like that. Like if if I trusted that Disney would actually embrace the fact that Cruella is like 
evil, I would be down. But it's Disney. So, of course, they're going to have to find some way to make her misunderstood. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Okay. But Black Widow coming to Disney Plus simultaneously with theaters. Scarjo deserves better and Black Widow deserves better. I think that's fair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, I-, I said this on Twitter and I'll just go on my brief rant and I'll shut up. But like, here's what gets me. So when the, when Iron Man 2 came out, like, well, well even when the first Iron Man came out, right? Like Robert Downey Jr. was well known and that was a big budget, but it was hardly what people, you know, thought it was going to turn into. And uh, you know, the the movie that everybody really talked about that summer was was The Dark Knight, as they should have. But it it ushered in this brand new thing. And as they started to add new characters into that universe, you know, um, Black Widow is one of the first ones they brought in. She was mm-hmm. definitely one of the bigger names who came into that fran- into the entire franchise, who already had an established career, who was already like the it girl, already had bona fides. So they used the hell out of her face, her body, like 100% her body, like to promote and build this, you know, like $100 billion franchise, right? Like they've built this entire thing by using her and, and uh, in, in no small part. And not only does she only get a film after they kill off the character in Endgame, when they should have killed off freaking Hawkeye, because who yeah. cares about Jeremy Renner, honestly? Right. Like, no yeah. one cares about Jeremy Renner, who, like, was in, in the Hurt Locker, but was really kind of a nobody. Whereas, you know, ScarJo had a career and had been working for a decade before she did Iron Man 2. Anyway, so they they kill off the character. They finally give her her origin film after they've given everybody else up, there've been three freaking Captain Americas. Like, you know, Thor has, has a whole thing. We have a freaking, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like we have this whole thing. Everyone has she, two and she's getting everyone one. Everyone has two. She's finally getting one when she was one of the biggest stars, like at the beginning of that series. And they t- definitely used her to sell the entire franchise period. And then it gets delayed and delayed and delayed. And I think some of the first times it was delayed wasn't even because of pandemic stuff, but because of other Disney slating stuff. And then they finally, and I get the business realities, you have to get the film out. It's going to delay other stuff with phase four, blah, 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 blah. But you can't even just say, okay, the numbers are looking really good. We're going to go all in and actually put the muscle behind this and say, we're going to do a theatrical release and take a chance on this. And if it doesn't work, fine. But we're going to invest the marketing budget to really take a, a chance on this. No, they say, okay, we'll do this the simultaneous release BS move, which is basically a way for them to write stuff off, not spend a lot on, on media. And I don't know, I just think it's I think it sucks. Black Widow deserves better. Like na- like justice for Natasha. She gave her life on Vormir <laughs> so <laughs> Hawkeye could get the soul stone. Right. And now she has to give up her movie too. It's exactly. too much, Disney. It's too much. Scarjo. <laughs> is my problematic fave like come on just 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 hold the course they're holding the 007 movie okay i'm sorry scarlett johansson is a bigger more important star than daniel craig like you can hold on for three more months so i can inject the vaccine into my body (laughs) just hold on we're so close disney (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, But speaking of Disney Plus things that are meant to be on Disney Plus and are apparently very good, you, I believe, both have seen WandaVision and we've been like putting off talking about it for a while. So I want to give you your space. Well, have you seen it, Simone? Of course not. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Oh, my God. I know. 
I know. No, it's genuinely really, really good. Like, I know. No, 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 no. Like, like you'll really like it. Like, this is, it's still completely. No. This is the most Simone show ever. It honestly is. I know. I don't need to be convinced. (laughs) Okay. Well, now I don't want to spoil it for you. No, I'm spoiled. I read synopses of the finale. I'm sorry. I'm garbage. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. (laughs) But you haven't really been spoiled. You have to like watch it. It's Elizabeth Olsen is fantastic. I'm sure I have to experience it. So we, I don't know if y'all remember this, but when Jessica Jones came out, Mm -hmm. we fracking raved about Jessica Jones. To this day, Jessica Jones is the, my favorite superhero story ever by far. Why? Because it was a weird series that really took chances and did things that I'd never seen done before and gave a woman character a chance to tell a real story about trauma and loss. And there are a lot of those themes here, but what I really love about it is WandaVision was freaking weird. Mm-hmm. It was a weird show. The The cast, of, like uh, Agatha, was a weird <laughs> neighbor. She was perfectly cast. Agnes. It was perfect. Agnes, right. She, it was perfectly content to leave you like adrift for three episodes going, what the hell am I watching? What's going on? I don't understand any of this before it started showing you the cards. It was a glorious experience. And I I really think like it's, it's this at Jessica Jones and Luke Cage because yeah. like, look at the new Marvel TV show, uh, 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 winter soldier mm-hmm. and the Falcon. We're only one episode in, but so far typical Marvel story, yeah. typical action sequences, typical bro banter mm-hmm. back and forth. I've seen all of it before. And WandaVision was something I've legitimately, I've never seen a story told like that. I've never seen a character like that. I, I just a truly great experience, top to bottom. How, how did you feel? You know, you, you stole the words out of my mouth. So the last uh, couple of weeks or months, I guess, at this point, I've been doing a, a Twitter spaces conversation on Saturdays with Ben Sandofsky and um, uh, Jesse Link and and Sarah, um, uh, find her last name, um, 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 Beckpour and, and a couple of other people where we've talked about WandaVision. And uh, Ben um, was kind of to invite me in to talk about it, I guess, about kind of halfway through the series. And we're going to continue on talking about um, uh, Winter Soldier. But I, I, somebody who, like, I've seen the MCU films, but I wouldn't call myself like a diehard. And it's not like one of those things where I, I'm like completely aware of everything in the lore. And I was still completely sucked in. I loved how, like what you said, it was weird it was effective. the The penultimate episode was some of the best television I've seen yeah. um, in a long time. Uh, the, the finale, you know, didn't quite land, but it was really hard to come off of that penultimate episode, which was so good. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen uh, and Paul Bettany were both really good with it, and and it did the things that I think that I was not expecting us to be able to see from a Disney Plus show. In that, a okay, is it as dark as Jessica Jones? Absolutely not, right? Like this is still a Disney owned property and and they're not going to to do that right like jessica jones i think we can all agree as wonderful as it was was a weird operation it took place in this weird time when you know the deals and stuff were done that it wasn't like a fully like disneyfied thing uh and and obviously disney wouldn't allow that sort of show to exist on on its own like disney branded platforms 
But what they did showcase was um, still like equally like emotionally relevant and was much deeper than I was expecting. But what it did that I didn't expect was that it gave us this backstory in this time over nine episodes to spend with two characters who frankly got the short end of the stick, you know, Mm -hmm. in the MCU. Like the thing with the MCU is that, you know, they need to shove in as many characters as possible. And you have a few of the big people who get, you know, some of their monologues and their lines, but you don't have a lot of story development. You don't have a lot of time to just have pacing. What's amazing about television, and one of the reasons I think that we've been having this television renaissance for the last decade or so, is that you do have time to get to know some of these characters and to really feel them. And then this is one of those that I really loved it because I didn't expect that. I didn't expect for them to take two characters that we knew but didn't really know and give us that backstory that we'd missed you know, from the preceding, uh, I guess, you know, six years with with um, with Elizabeth Olsen's character and, and longer than that with with Paul Bettany's. And so I I really, I loved it. And and it is the most Simone show I can imagine, not just from Catherine Hahn's stuff, which is totally you like, but but the but all, all of the um the you know the various iterations that they do like by by each decade and and the parodying and satire of the the sitcoms of that era, like the, the, from down to the clothing and the way they filmed it and all that stuff. It's so completely you like the the fifties and the sixties stuff, especially. You're gonna really just love the costumes alone. Like that's totally you. I think one of the coolest things about its run was just, I I can't remember the last time that, I guess it must have been Game of Thrones, that I saw so many people invested in watching a show on a weekly basis and then Mm -hmm. yelling about it on Twitter. I uh, That was really cool to see. And I definitely uh, have not seen a show kind of capture people's imagination and passion um, in that way for a while but but that was it i mean this was the genius of the writing i i i wouldn't say i hated wandavision i was i was not sold on wandavision for the first three episodes because it's like you go in it's got this littlest flavor of wider marvel universe mystery to it and they were just so content to leave you to the slow burn Mm -hmm. and then episode four you're finally outside you kind of understand what it is but you still don't really understand what's going on inside the town and then you learn about how they're like she's controlling people there and then you've got vision and the mystery of that and it just spun it along brilliantly every single week and like you said christina episode nine where they went and really went into her past in a way uh you know the avengers movie did not i was i i i felt that i felt that and it was it was it was so meaningful and it rang so true for me and then at the same time someone the reason you have to watch uh agatha harkness is like her character is just it it's like she's the wacky neighbor and then she goes into being a true threat and her makeup changes and her demeanor changes in a way where she's legitimately pulling off like a marvel villain of the level of like thanos and it is it is she's genuinely terrifying she's fantastic it's just 10 out of 10 like i did not 
I, I'd seen her and stuff. I didn't really care about her as an actress before this. And oh, like now, now, now you does. understand why yeah. everyone loves her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I've been a fan since Crossing Jordan, but, but uh, so like two decades. But basically. we can't all be early adopters, can we? Well, no, this was just a weird one. And that, that I remember liking her. She had a very kind of a, a sort of small and got bigger on that show. And, um, but no, she's great. And like, you will love the character, but also if you're not already a Catherine Hunt stan, like you will be after. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I will figure out how I can make that happen. <laughs> but I'm glad that you two got your chance to talk about it finally. Side note, did we see the story about uh, Netflix cracking down on password reuse? I just oh, yeah. To I saw their attempts there. to do that. Good luck, yep. Netflix. You'll Good never luck. catch me. Uh- <laughs> well, no, honestly, look, this is what I said on Twitter, and, and some people like liked it. I was like, the whole reason we agree that you can raise the price 20% every like year or two is because there's an implicit understanding that everyone shares passwords. Mm-hmm. So like good, good luck with this Netflix. I'm sure this is going to work out real well for you. Mm-hmm. Well, Hey, this episode of rocket is also brought to you by focused familia FM. That's a podcast on a podcast network. If you like our show, there's a good chance that you'll like focused Pure, undisturbed focus is something of a superpower these days, especially with so many distractions. It's hard to stay focused during work, doing your hobbies, or even just watching TV, as I know from immediate experience within the last 24 and perhaps even two hours. Mm -hmm. If you've been meaning to get focused, this is the show for you, because hosts David Sparks and Mike Schmitz can show ya how. Uh, Previous episodes have uh, included topics like roles and goals, how those two things work together. Uh, They did an episode with Brittany Smith on ADHD and cognitive science. Uh, They also examined productivity and creativity and the relationship between those two things, which is the definition of my daily struggle. Get focused. Because life is more than just cranking widgets, go to relay.fm slash focused or search for focused wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out. All right. Let's talk about what we're doing this week. Brianna, let's start with you. Uh, we're working on a really big pitch uh, for Rebellion Pack. I will have a lot more to say about it very soon. Uh, other than that, you know, it's finally kind of warm here in Boston. It was up to 63 today. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I I finally invested in some new tennis rackets and Frank and I are going to start uh, playing tennis again. That is so exciting. I, I do have to say, like, I, I'm a winter lover. I do love winter. It really, I did not realize what an impact it would make when the sun stops setting at 5 p.m. Yep. <laughs> I went outside and this Saturday or Sunday. I was out and it was like after 6 p.m. and there was still sun in the sky. And I was like, this is unbelievable. This happens <laughs> every year. Are you kidding me? Wow. Uh, Christina, what are you up to this week? Yeah, and just just hanging out. Um, I I haven't received it yet. It it was delivered, but um, I've been waiting waiting for my building to um deliver it to me. But um, our our pal Charles Tan sent me a keyboard, which I'll have more to talk about next week because oh. of my you know we know that my my recent kind of mechanical keyboard obsession that's happened. So thank you, Charles. Oh. I'll have a full review of that um next week. But uh, yeah, just just chilling, just work stuff. All right. I I hope you're not getting into another 
crazy hobby, Christina. Well, well, she wouldn't be the first person to get into mechanical keyboards during the pandemic. And you know what? Your deadline is almost here. You got to go. You got to get those keyboards while it's still (laughs) on trend. Um, What am I? So I had an exciting update in my relationship with my Philips Hue lights this week. I finally set routines because I have so much trouble getting out of bed and also existing. So I finally said, hey, this app has all these, you know, options for me to set timers, not just the one that wakes, like I have the light turn on automatically in the morning. I have set more. So now my lights do the whole shift during the day where they'll come on soft in the morning and then go into the energized setting until noon and then they'll go to concentrate and then at sunset it'll start to shift into relax uh and then at around 9 30 it will turn into tropical twilight which is one of my favorite presets um so as we were recording this podcast my lights over the course of a half hour slowly shifted into tropical twilight which means it's time for me to go to bed Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I'm loving it. Uh, it's such a great life. Um, and once my credit card bills are paid off for this month, I'm getting more lights. <laughs> <laughs> this is my thing now. I'm I'm the light guy. <laughs> I'm going to be your dad, like coming into the barbecue to tell you about all the cool lights that I'm buying. Um, all, the, all, all, all the RGBs. All my RGBs. Oh, gosh. So anyway, that's what I'm up to. Um, I'm just know. trying to imagine yeah. the color scheme. Like, I, I imagine it's like that uh, the the movie Nerve. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Like that, that blue and pink lighting everywhere. Or like Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. Oh, that's yeah. what I imagine your, your house is like now. Yes. And I will not disabuse you of that notion. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Brianna Wu uh, at Twitter. Uh, also, if you want to support Rebellion Pack, uh, you know, a lot of big moves coming out with politics, uh, and uh, you can help us make that happen at helptherebellion.com. Awesome. And Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. You can find my videos for work at youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer. I'm also doing the kind of a, a segment um, on a live show that we do on Tuesday mornings um, at uh, like 10.30 a.m. Pacific um, that's also available at, at uh, Microsoft a Developer YouTube channel. Um, and uh, yeah. That's awesome. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Doom Quasar and at my videos are youtube.com slash polygon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rocket. If you liked it, I would super appreciate it if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you've got a friend who you think would be interested in the show, go ahead and send them the link. Send them the link on the podcast listening service of their choice. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.